2: a Factual Data Creation Facility production. Welcome to the OFNT Podcast, Episode 202, which I'm calling Embracing the Rain. Yeah, it's been raining around here just about every day. So much that I'm having flashbacks of the two years I spent living in England. Except it's a little colder here. If this was snowfall, well, we'd be buried in it. Perhaps global warming isn't as bad as they say. (laughs) All right, let's just get on with it. Yes. Tech News Let's get the sparse-for-once Apple news out of the way first. Okay. From CNBC, Apple opens up iPhone App Store in Europe. A major crack in its walled garden, reads the headline. This, of course, is referring to the, quote, ability to sideload apps on the iPhone. Something you can do with Android since the beginning. Now, when I first heard that the EU was attempting to force Apple to allow sideloading of apps, I was very against it. I thought this side loading would work the same as it does on Android, which is using APK files you can get from any website that has them. Back in my Android glory days, I used an APK file to install Telegram. I think it was Telegram. It was one of those messaging apps that wasn't yet available in the Google Play Store onto my device. That's not what we're talking about here. If Android-style app side-loading was allowed on iOS, uh, well, eventually you'd have an Android phone with an Apple logo on it, at least in my opinion. And that's something I wouldn't want for various reasons, security being the main concern. Now, what Apple is doing is to allow developers to have, quote, special iOS apps within the App Store that require Apple's approval that will allow the developers to distribute their apps through that special iOS app, thus bypassing Apple's 30% take. App developers will now be allowed to bill users directly. So Apple will lose a chunk of money under the new system, right? Well, no. That's because Apple will still charge developer fees and commissions even if the developers handle their own payments or distribute their apps using an alternate app store. Apple will also add an install fee for popular apps if they exceed 1 million download accounts. Apple won't be losing much if any of the money they rake in now those high-paid corporate lawyers come in handy, don't they? Yes. Of course, to enable those direct payments, something under the hood has to change, and I think this is the biggest change brought about by the EU's pressure on Apple to allow side-loading of apps. Hence the headline from Digital Trends. Apple is about to change iPhone web browsing forever. As of now, in order to get an app approved for the App Store, developers have to use Apple's own WebKit rendering engine. This requirement will go away, in the EU, that is, with the introduction of the so-called alternate app stores. Sure, as of now, you can install a number of different web browsers on an iPhone, but the versions of those browsers are but a shell of the real deal. All these browsers are just a shell wrapped around Apple's WebKit engine. Going forward, the full versions of browsers such as Chrome, Brave, and others will be the full version, not just an overlay. I usually just use the included Safari browser with DuckDuckGo as my default search engine, and because I don't live in the EU, I'll be continuing to do so. While all this alternate app store and now non-WebKit browsers do give consumers choice, I'd bet that security will eventually become an issue. We'll just have to wait and see. Amazon's plan to put a popular product behind a paywall hits a roadblock, is the headline from thestreet.com. I'm not sure about the roadblock, but I am aware that Amazon is updating its trailblazing digital assistant whose name starts with an A real soon now. That is as early as June 30th, if reports are accurate. This was announced during the company's last event, though the paywall part wasn't mentioned. Of course it wouldn't be. What was mentioned was that Amazon's digital assistant would be infused with, now wait for it, artificial intelligence. In the future, you would ask the digital assistant something like, let's talk, or something similar to that, to trigger it. Right after that announcement, I asked that very phrase and got a reply telling me that if I were interested in this new capability, I'd receive an email detailing this new service. The key word here being service, alluding to a service charge. I am interested in this service, but it all depends on the price Amazon wants me to pay for it. The roadblock mentioned in the article appears to be employees within Amazon who have questioned whether consumers will actually pay for this enhancement of the digital assistant. Eh, no problem. Those particular employees were probably furloughed during Amazon's latest cuts. Probably because they're not team players and kept leaking company secrets to news outlets like the street.com. Yes. Anyway, being that you know who was my first and so far favorite digital assistant, I'm looking forward to the next iteration of it. Now, if only Apple would do something with its dumbed-down digital assistant. Where's Cortana when you need her? Here's an item I forgot to include in last week's episode. The Associated Press, master of all news the elites want you to hear, (laughs) ran this headline recently. Tech firm Baidu denies report that its Ernie AI chatbot is linked to Chinese military research. From the article, technology company Baidu on Monday refuted a newspaper report that said its artificial intelligence chatbot Ernie was linked to Chinese military research. Nah. The South China Morning Post cited an academic paper they obtained from a university affiliated with the People's Liberation Army. Are there any universities in China not affiliated with the uh, PLA? No. Cyber Warfare Division, which stated that old Ernie had been tested by them. Well, this caused Baidu's stock to plunge 11.5% Monday, which would be two Mondays ago by the time you hear this. The academic paper claimed Ernie was used by the PLA to generate simulated military response plans for Libyan troops in response to a U.S. attack. So, of course, with Baidu's stock cratering, the company denied the allegations. Well, I took a quick look at the Baidu stock ticker, and though it had a slight uptick, it hasn't completely recovered as of yet from the decline. Well, of course, it's common knowledge. Well, let me rephrase that. It should be common knowledge that by law, all industries within communist China are linked to the military. While it's not mandated by law here in the U.S., don't think for a second that ChatGPT and a myriad of other AI chatbots and the like aren't running on Pentagon and all three-lettered agency systems as I speak. The motivation is just different. I'm not worried about AI taking over the world. I'm more worried about it compromising security, military and commercial, and of course the loss of gainful employment for many people. And finally, for the tech news section, WQRF, which I'm sure is some kind of local radio station or television station, reports that eBay is cutting 1,000 jobs. It's the latest big tech company to reduce its workforce. This round of layoffs for eBay reduces the company's workforce by 9%. eBay blames employee costs and a slowing economy as the main factors for this. You know, I keep reading articles about how great the economy is doing and how it keeps exceeding expectations. But here on the ground, that just doesn't appear to be the case. I got hairy legs. We know. You've told us that before. So what is the truth in regards to the economy? I'm just asking for a friend here. What we need is another pandemic or war to start in order to start printing money again. Oh, wait. I think the WEF has announced a new pandemic already. I previously predicted it would come in 2025, but with the political polls not looking good for the elites... It was probably moved up to this year. (laughs) Tech I'm using. A couple of Christmases ago, my son gifted me a black Belkin branded 3-in-1 charger. The Belkin charger was one of the first of its type, featuring Apple's MagSafe standard certification. That made the Belkin 3-in-1 a high-in-demand Christmas gift, especially in the color black. This unfortunately resulted in my son paying a pretty penny for it. Now, I love the convenience of the charger. For the first time, I was able to charge my iPhone, Apple Watch, and AirPods Pro all at the same time and in the same place. I set the charger up on my bedside nightstand. The only problem I had with the thing was the area where you sat the AirPods to charge was kind of finicky, requiring me to fiddle around to seat the earbuds just right in order for them to properly engage. The introduction of standby mode for iPhones, which came with iOS 17, made the Belkin charger that much better. Well, last Monday morning, I took the old iPhone off the charger and went about my morning business. In this case, my business was drinking some water and checking out the news and notifications from my phone. While doing so, I noticed that my iPhone was only 79% charged, which of course is unusual because it was supposedly charging all night. I figured I had somehow knocked the phone off kilter during the night. That is, until I placed it on the charger while going to bed the next evening. I noticed that the standby mode didn't come on. Again, that's not an unusual occurrence as I've described on this show previously. Then I saw that the phone wasn't charging at all. The Apple Watch and the AirPods were charging though. To verify that this was caused by the Belkin charger itself... I attached my phone to my lovely wife's 3-in-1 charger, which is branded as a QT Unity. I had purchased the QT as a Christmas gift for my wife and marveled at the sturdy construction, lower profile, and how easy it was to charge AirPods on. Just throw them on there. No fiddling required. The QT Lear cost less than half of the price my son had paid for my Belkin two years ago. My phone immediately started to charge and then after a few seconds went into standby mode, displaying the clunk and the weather. Before turning in, I fired up the old Amazon app and ordered a QT Lear in black, as opposed to my wife's white version. I noticed that the price for the charger had increased from $42 to $45 since my just-before-Christmas purchase. Unlike the Belkin, both colors go for the same price. There's no premium for the black color. Within an hour of awakening the next morning, Amazon delivered the new tri-charger. I quickly set it up and tested it out using my phone and everything was in order. Since then, the QT liar has been working fine. How long will it last? Well, time will tell, won't it? Yes. While watching OG tech news site CNET's YouTube channel last Thursday evening, the host, Bridget Carey, Who's the only host I recognize these days? Gee, I remember when she was new at the CNET channel. Well, she had an interesting take on AI while doing a mini-review of Samsung's new S24 Ultra, where AI seems to be the main selling point. Ms. Gary posits that people have too many screens to interact with these days. So instead of all that data these tech companies extract from users being used to alert you of things via your phone, watch, and computer... Why can't that data be used to actually help you? What? She used the EV smart ring and a smart mirror she encountered at CES as examples. The ring helps guide your sleep and other health items without requiring a screen, and the mirror she was referring to analyzes your face in order to detect possible health conditions. I've said in the past that I wish Apple had made a fitness band for those of us who would like to wear a plain watch instead of an Apple watch. Actually, a smart ring, such as the Aura I currently wear, can already track most of your health metrics with no screen. Well, actually, it actually uses your phone screen. Now, you can't answer messages and calls on your smart ring, but may. Hey, why do you carry a smartphone around with you anyway? I feel that Apple is going in the opposite direction. They seem to be putting more and more features onto their watches in order to eventually do away with the need to carry a phone. Heck, I think the upcoming Vision Pro aims to eventually do away with standard computers. I guess all this is something I'll have to ponder in the future. The Intertube rumor mills are cranking up concerning the upcoming new iPads, the Pro and Air models, which are expected in March. I'm not really interested in iPads at the moment, but I do have a slight interest in the 12-inch iPad Air. A couple of YouTube channels are showing renders of the new bigger Air based on leaked schematics. Besides an M2 chip and a new rear camera bump, everything kind of looks the same as the last model Air, except for the larger size, of course. The front camera is still located on one of the vertical sides of the tablet, which has me bewildered. My lovely wife's iPad 10 base model has its camera mounted on a horizontal edge versus the vertical edge all current iPads have their cameras mounted on. The horizontal mounting is better for FaceTime or video calls. The new super expensive Pro Models camera is going to be mounted horizontally, so why not the new Air? If these rumors are true, I won't even consider buying a new iPad until the misplaced camera mounting is rectified. That or just buying a 10th generation base iPad or maybe just not having an iPad at all. Here in America,
1: work is in trouble.
2: Entertainment news. The Daily Mail has the headline. Netflix is phasing out one of its streaming plans this year. Oh, no. Yeah, this can't be good news. If you happen to reside in Canada or the UK, the 11.99 dollars per month ad-free basic plan will be discontinued. Well, I'm sure this will spread to other markets soon enough. And that is for new or returning subscribers to Netflix. That just leaves the $15.49 standard option or the $22.99 premium option. Of course, if you don't mind advertisements, you can go for the $6.99 ad-supported plan. That ad-supported plan accounts for some 40% of the new sign-ups for Netflix, which has helped them become the uncontested king of streaming services. Other streaming services have lost millions, or in the case of Peacock, billions of dollars last year. I have the ad-supported tier of Peacock here at the Old Fart Residence, and I don't watch it much, but I like the way they handle ads on their movies. You get them all up front for about five minutes and then get to view the movie uninterrupted. The television series on Peacock get the shorter but more numerous ads unless it's a premiere of a series. I have no experience with Netflix's version of an ad-supported service, so I can't comment on it. The way I see it, the deletion of the Basic Plan is just one less choice for the consumer, at least in ad-free entertainment. If you already have the Netflix Basic Plan, hold on to it tightly because it's not coming back anytime soon. And speaking of the Peacock streaming service, I was able to watch the latest chapter of the Mission Impossible movie franchise named Dead Reckoning. I've wanted to watch this movie since its release, but no one in the old Ford household wanted to go to the theater with me to watch it. When it came up for rental, no one seemed to be interested in doing that either. The movie didn't meet its lofty expectations at the box office, but I can't understand why. It was a solid spy adventure movie with over-the-top stunts, exciting fight scenes, and a semi-good plot. The cinematography was also captivating. Dead Reckoning is supposed to be the first of three movies, so it ended in a cliffhanger. I just hope old Tom Cruise can raise enough money in order to film the final two installments, or at least one more so the story can be completed. Mr. Cruise is finally showing his age, which was really apparent during this movie. I don't know how long he can maintain his action hero status. The plastic surgeons can only do so much, you know. Yes. All of the television series I had been watching since the fall have wrapped up, leaving me in search of new things to watch. Apple TV Plus has a new series based on World War II U.S. Army Air Force bomber squadrons that were stationed in England. It's called Masters of the Air. My wife and I watched the first two episodes Friday evening. We both enjoyed the show immensely. We happen to live near a small aviation museum located on an active airfield which used to be part of the now-defunct Republic Aviation Company, and we've been actually been on board a B-17 Flying Fortress bomber they had on display at the time. The B-17 is featured in Masters of the Air. The interiors of these planes look large on television, but in real life they are very cramped. So cramped that many modern people, including myself, would have a hard time moving around within them if able to board at all. The results of a high-fructose, high-fat diet and less active lifestyle. Anyway, if you're in the mood for a historical-based television series in the vein of Band of Brothers, except centered around the air war, this show's for you. According to IMDb, the internet movie database, Masters of the Air is one of the most expensive television series ever produced. But unlike the billion-dollar flop that was Amazon's The Rings of Power, Apple seems to have gotten its money's worth with beautiful photography and excellent acting and dialogue. The show is based on real people and actual events, and that's a good thing. Podcast news. According to various sources and pundits within Podcasting Incorporated, the quote industry, unquote, is experiencing shrinking investments, audiences, and more importantly for them, advertising money. These are things I talked a lot about over the last year, and there's no end in sight. The top listened to podcasts have almost returned to the way they were pre-pandemic, with the major news organizations and public radio dominating. Joe Rogan's show is the only non-news outlet that consistently cracks the top ten. Still missing our independent podcast that used to be on the charts, most snapped up by media companies during the days when insane amounts of money were being thrown around. Many have been discontinued or just faded in popularity since. I don't think we'll ever see the time when independents ruled the podcasting world ever again. That's not to say that there aren't any good podcasts out there by independents. There are, especially when it comes to audio dramas. Audio drama podcasts exploded on the scene during the lockdowns when many actors and writers, mostly from theater, suddenly found themselves unemployed. Of course, when life returned to normal, these writers and actors went back to their normal jobs. Filling this gap, though, seems to be dramas from mainly the country of England, well, at least the ones I've been listening to. I've always held a soft spot for radio dramas as my late father was a big fan of them. Though already off the air when I became aware of them, a public radio station which broadcasted on the FM band would play a three-hour block of selected radio dramas on early Friday evenings, which my father and I would listen to. He was more into the detective-type dramas such as Johnny Dollar and the like, while I was into The Shadow and more scary stuff. When I got my first Apple iPod, the first podcast I listened to was the OTR podcast, and OTR being short for old-time radio. Each episode of that podcast would feature two or sometimes three different programs. I tried to get my father to buy himself an iPod so he could again enjoy the radio shows of his youth, but he never got the concept of what an iPod was or how it worked, no matter how many times I attempted to explain it to him. So he never took my advice. The audio dramas that I'm currently listening to and enjoy are the Magnus Protocol, which sprang from the Magnus archives, both from Rusty Quill, Haunted, the audio drama from Impala Films, and the Strata from Mark R. Healy. The first two are produced in England, while the Strata is produced in Australia, which uses voice actors from around the world, mostly from the U.S. and England. Haunted and the Magnus Protocol deal with the paranormal, while the strata is science fiction. Strangely, I discovered these podcasts and others from a podcast listening app called Apollo, which specializes in select audio dramas. Apollo has a limited free tier, and that's the one I use, and a paid tier, which costs $10 per month. What? Yeah, too expensive for me to consider. What I do is scroll through their offerings and listen to an episode of shows that have an interesting description. If the episode sounds good to me, I subscribe to the show's RSS feed using my regular listening app. It's worth it to me, and I recommend Apollo for Discovery and the shows I found using that app. Starting with iOS 17.4, which is due around the March timeframe, Apple's podcast app will start automatically adding a transcript to all podcast episodes on their platform. Now, this is a good thing from the Giant Fruit Company. To add a transcript now, you either have to pay for that service and use a tag to do this. I'm not sure if there are any entities that provide this service for free. Some podcasting hosts might do. I just don't know. Another day, another AI-based brand safety platform. These types of services are springing up like weeds lately. What these brand safety platforms platforms do is work with podcast advertisers to ensure that the show they advertise on is not saying anything controversial. They do this by scanning all podcasts by using a list of keywords such as Republican, Trump, anti-vax, you know, you get the idea. You know, any, any word that might infer that the host or guests on these podcasts maybe have a different opinion than what the current government or elite agenda happens to be. And we can't have that now, can we? No. Hmm. That might explain why some major advertisers no longer advertise on this podcast. Or perhaps that's a result of my audience numbers, which are in free fall lately. <laughs> hey, that's not funny. Anyway, the new kid on the block is a company called Seeker. It's S E E K R, whose product, Align, differentiates itself from competing products by being able to go into the nuanced conversations of podcasts to give proper ratings. Or so they claim. After doing some research on Seeker, I found out that, like most, if not all its competitors, its headquarters are in Virginia, where many government three-letter organizations reside as well as Seeker's competitors. Hmm. A coincidence? I think not. I wasn't able to find much on the financials of Seeker. Other so-called safety platforms like this got their initial backing from governmental agencies such as the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Defense, or DAPRA. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, well, it is a duck. Welcome to the new government method of censorship.
0: It's all fake news. It's phony stuff. It didn't happen.
2: It certainly is a brave new world now, isn't it? Yes. It's the return of the rant. I watch YouTube a lot. I drift from one topic to another, whatever tickles my fancy at the time. Lately, I've been watching police camera videos. The first thing I have noticed is that many people have absolutely no respect for the police. I think we all know the reason for that. You can blame certain activists and their buddies in the media for this. The other thing I've noticed is that the most outrageous behavior seems to be the providence of women, particularly young, college-educated Caucasian women. That, of course, speaks volumes about what's being taught at colleges these days. You know, those former bastions of free speech, critical thinking, and education? Being that the previously described demographic are the most numerous attendees of these institutions, and they want the workers of this country to pay for their worthless degrees. Yep, true believers in socialism. In my day, women were always the ones that carried the voice of reason, able to diffuse situations between the males which might turn violent with simply a smile and some words. Have I read this wrong my entire life? Even when caught breaking the law, they won't take responsibility. And when that doesn't work, they escalate, first with insults, then with physical violence. For example, when a cop pulls over a car and asks an obviously impaired woman to exit the vehicle, or other requests not involving incapacitation, first we get a refusal. Then the cell phone comes out, either to call someone or record the event. When the officer tells the woman she's under arrest, we hear, No, I'm not. When that doesn't work and the officer attempts to restrain the woman, we hear, Don't touch me, bro. When the officer uses a bit of force, well, all hell breaks loose, with the woman either hitting, kicking, biting, spitting, or all of the above at the officer. Why does this particular type of woman feel they're above the law? There are videos of men acting like this, but the great majority are women like I described earlier. Are we witnessing the collapse of society? I guess old Lenin, Stalin, Mao, and all the rest of the dead communist mass murderers must be laughing from their places in hell at this. The revolution is not coming. It's happening now. music is playing on yet another rainy Sunday evening. I'm still saying it's better than snow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed making it for you. If you like what you heard, you can make a donation using the link in the show notes. Any and all donations will be appreciated. You can always reach me at ofntpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com if you're so inclined. I'd enjoy hearing from you. Remember listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Now take out your brollies and get off my lawn. Stay skeptical. I'm out. See ya.